0: The on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Stan and Guy, hey, love the show, dude. That's absolutely
1: right. It's Stan and Guy back together again. Here's Stan Saverin and Guy Junker. I plan on going home and getting some, some much-needed family time. You know, seeing my mom and family, and, you know, just, just kind of rejuvenating the mind and the body. Oh, no doubt, you know. Mom, mom's food is the best food. That is James Washington, the Steelers' rookie wide receiver. Still waiting for him to emerge. He could still be a help, and that would be a huge help. It is bye week. Um, Time to reflect and kind of evaluate where the Steelers are. And the question I've asked you today, they were considered legitimate Super Bowl contenders before the season started, but after seeing it for six games, seeing what other teams are doing and how they're doing it, um, pretender or contender, Dave says on Twitter, I need to see them play the Ravens again before I believe they're a contender. That was the most hopeless I have felt as a Steelers fan in the Ben era. If they show they turned around that disaster and beat the Ravens, I'll believe again. Right now, they're a pretender. Guy Junker joins me now at and Guy Hour. Love the show. What say ye, you sir? I think they're a
2: contender for the division. I, I do not think they're a contender for a Super Bowl team at the moment. Uh, you know, and a lot. Uh, I don't like the fact that the whole other than the last game against Cincinnati, that all the divisional games are going to be done in a couple of weeks here. Uh, The league, I think mostly for TV interest in recent years, has kept divisional games at the end of the year. They've played half of their divisional games from December 4th on. In fact, their last three games two years ago were all within the division. I like that. Let it be decided then, not now. Why did that change?
1: I I don't know. That was not just here. It was uh, every division. They said, we're going to have division games. Now, they do play Cincinnati. Yeah. And It was only supposed to be the last two weeks. Right. But two years ago they finished. They played each of the three teams in a division. Yeah. The
2: last they had that's how they ended the season. Yeah. And December was loaded with divisional games. I, I just don't I, I think they've gotten it together a little bit. I still think they're I think they're they're pretty much what we thought they were at the beginning. Their defense is suspect. I think they're a little better than what they've played so far. I don't have them up there quite with the elite. I know you look at the power rankings a lot of a lot of people you know still have them up there with the patriots and the chiefs uh, i i can't go that way right now and um they got to clean up some penalties they got to clean up some mistakes i don't think that the drama can get much worse i think they've settled down a little bit that way antonio brown humbled a little bit if he can possibly be humbled with all this stuff and the lawsuits and at least that's out of the way and if you add a Le'Veon Bell to the mix forget about who should play or should you, james conner has shown that he can he's a Pretty darn good replacement if Bell never comes back. But if you add Bell to the quarterback that's leading the league in passing yards, as you stated in the first hour, the way the game's played today, they can hang with almost anybody. But I still think when push comes to shove to get to a Super Bowl, their defense isn't good
1: enough. Well, a couple things. You mentioned penalties. I'm glad you did. Uh, This is courtesy of our friend Jerry Dulac. In the first three games, the Steelers committed excuse me, 37 penalties for 361 yards. The last three games, twenty-one penalties for one sixty-seven. Seven a game is still not real high. It's more than you'd want, but I mean they've cut them down significantly. From Thirty-seven in yeah. three games to twenty-one. So maybe that's under control. Of course, um, they got the Ravens coming up. We'll see what happens with that. Also, it's interesting uh, of the offensive linemen. The only offensive lineman that's not been called for penalties is Ramon Foster. DeCastro has been called for one, but that was for being illegally downfield on a pass play. Uh, Gilbert has been called for two penalties, but none in the last five games. So that seems to be settling down. Uh, My theory is, is that if you compare them to the best teams in the conference, New England and Kansas City, let's say that they're the best teams in the conference, you look at the way they're winning games and their defenses are bad. Kansas City's might be worse than the Steelers. I don't know. That's not much to choose from. It's when choosing between a nickel and five pennies, but it's not a good defense, Kansas City. They kind of knew that going in. And even look at the Patriots game, that wild game against Kansas City. They had a very substantial yeah. lead, and they allowed Mahomes and the Chiefs to come back. Well, I think
2: that that's a sign, too, defensively. If you're giving up a lot of yards or a lot of points overall, it's one thing. It's like pitching when you've got a six nothing lead. It's easier to play. It should be easier to play defense, and they let the lead slip away against the Steelers too, though when they were uh, close to blowing them out, and they, right. they they won the game, but they you know so
1: that's that, that's what I'm saying. The way the yeah. game is played today, the only team in the NFL that I think has the combination of offense and defense is the Rams. I think that's why you know they haven't lost a game, but also most people consider them the best team because they have the most balance. And I brought up the Jacksonville as an example. Um, you know, we know that their offense is limited unless they're playing the Steelers, but their defense was, their defense, now they're getting lit up, relatively speaking, even though their numbers are good. The teams are scoring points on them, and their offense isn't good enough to compensate, which is why they're sitting at 500. Well, the other part of it is, I think, you know, I think we
2: all realize that they got a little lucky last year. I mean, you go 13-3 and three with... Those games that you're closing out at the end of the regulation with all those field goals that has a tendency to even out in a in a season over two years it's going to even out even more and their schedule's much more difficult this year and, you know I, I thought the the early part of their schedule to me you know to start with the one two and one or what what, what were they 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 tied Cleveland then they. Lost to the Kansas, Kansas City.
1: City, and they beat Tampa.
2: They beat Tampa. I mean, lost to Baltimore. Lost that looked to me like a part of the. That looked like a three and one start for sure. They didn't get off to that. I, look, Cleveland's not a, a contender in the division. They're much improved, and I think Cincinnati's going to drop off the face of the earth over the next couple of weeks. I think it's going to come down to them if they can get back and beat Cleveland and Baltimore. I think they're going to win the division again. And, and I mean, I know that's very early in the year, and you never know what kind of injuries and stuff. But I think he's next to. That's what I said. I don't like all these games bunched together. I'd rather see it evened out. I hate it a couple of times there, like they played the Bengals twice in three weeks or something, or in four weeks. Yeah. If you if your quarterback happens to be hurt or something during that time, and uh, you know it's never going to be perfect. Or but I, I did get a real feeling in the locker room yesterday that most guys sincerely think they've made some progress. The season did not start the way they wanted. They weren't happy with the way they played, but they feel the win in the last two games. They've made progress. I mean, what do you expect them to say? But uh, it seemed pretty heartfelt. I think they think they're on the right track.
1: I know people look at the defense and say it stinks, and it's not good um, by any stretch, even relative to the way the game is played today. And you can look at the Falcons and say they're a 2-4 and football team, and they're very flawed. But the one area where Atlanta is not flawed is on their offense, and the Steelers totally shut them down. Cincinnati, the last drive is not what you want. But if you would have told me, guy, before the game started, they'll okay, the Bengals will score twenty-one points. I'll, I would have said, I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are signs that the defense um, is getting better. I think if they get Burnett back, it's not so much that Morgan Burnett's going to be there, but I think that would then allow them to move Cam Sutton because I think he ought to be starting on the corner. I mean, Artie Burns is not going to see time in the foreseeable future. I think Cody Sensabaugh is a body. And I think Cam Sutton would be best served there, but they had to use him inside because Morgan Burnett's not there. I mean, I, again, I don't think they're going to be great, but I think the last two weeks I think are somewhat encouraging. The pass rush is well, I better. I last week,
2: you know, Atlanta's defense stinks and you expected to put up points against them. What they were able to do against them and shutting Oleo Jones down, down yeah. I think it was a step in the right direction. I think the good thing about um, – The injury to Burnett, I mean, Terrell Edmonds has gotten a lot more playing time than you think he would have and has held his own. I mean, and that's going to be benefit you maybe in the second half of the year where he would have been a rookie that didn't play that much. You're not sure if you want to use him or maybe he's not sure of himself. I think that's certainly been a valuable uh, uh, thing for him to get in as much action as he has to this point in the season. The team that I, I, you know, through through this part of the year, Stan, the team that I really think. that I worry about. And that's why I think the first two games back is Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore's almost scored as many points as the Steelers, and they've given up half of what the Steelers have. And they are also a team that has never been afraid to go to New England. You know, they're the one team that can go. So that's, you know, I know Kansas. Well, Kansas City had made a big splash at the beginning of last year, too. And I know it's different with Mahomes, a quarterback. And the Steelers went out there and, you know, they gave them their first loss. They didn't get a first down until there was a minute left in the first half. I don't want to say they're they're not for real. I think they got a lot of talent, but from a Steeler perspective, it's always New England. They're always your nemesis. They're always who you worry about, and that's not an issue for Baltimore. And I think Baltimore, I don't like them, but they've been a lot more impressive. And I think people want to give them credit for around here. I'm still not sold
1: on them. i know not complaining either. Sacks (laughs) and all, they lead the league in sacks. But to me, uh, you know, there was an article yesterday about the Steelers' sack total, and hey. Sacks are good. Like I said yesterday, it's like the opening of Animal House where the thing says, knowledge is good. Sacks is good. <laughs> I'm not, but it's not enough. Because I've seen too many occasions where they'll get a sack, let's say on first down, second and 14, then they end up giving up getting the first down anyway. That's not the only thing. A sack is designed, unless it's on third down, is designed to disrupt a team's offensive drive because you're putting them behind the chains. That by itself is not enough. But I think they've done a better job against the run. I think the Bengals did them a big-time favor by not running Mixon more than they did. Uh, The Falcons fell behind, so they weren't able to use Devontae Freeman, although we know obviously he's on IR now. He probably wasn't healthy enough to play. Um, They're not great. But in the context of the way the game is played today, where your best defense is a good offense, I mean, I think they can compete with teams. Well, I think in terms of – I mean, I think a lot of defensive coaches
2: will tell you we don't talk about hurries that much. They almost like – not that they'll ever not take a sack. They like hurries better. Hurries lead to turnovers. Hurries lead to mistakes. And I, I – I, I, statistical analysis, I not that I was ever a math major or whatever, but I, I can't stand when I see something on the internet or it's like, that's the first time this team did this since September of 2015. Well, big deal. It's three years ago. Or they say something that's the first time they've done this against this team. Or they've only done this three times in the last 20 years. Well, they've only played them five times. And to me, some of these sack totals, and you're talking about the most sacks they've ever had as a team, you've got to look at how often teams pass now. The opportunity to get the sacks is so yeah. much more there. You know, there'll never be a defense greater than their 1976 defense. But what were they facing a the game then? 22 passes a game? Maybe? Maybe. And now you're facing 40
1: or 50 on a lot at times? I think that's a good point. But I would say also that the counterbalance to that is that everybody's running spread now. And True. so, you know, it's it, it really designed one, two, three, and the ball's out. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you're getting a lot more opportunities. Teams are throwing 40 times a game. But I think there's also the, the counterbalance is that, you know, what team doesn't run spread? Well, I used to, that's like I used to argue with my dad when he said that the major
2: leagues were watered down. And I no, said, no, they're not. There's too many teams. I said, no, they're not. When you were growing up, there, there weren't any black players. There weren't any yep. Latin players. There right. weren't any Canadians or Russians or Lithuanians or what's Davadas Neveroskis. I mean, so yeah, there's more teams, but there's a much bigger pool to draw from too. A, that's a good point. But, but I would still rather, if you're going to do sack comparisons, if you're leading the league in sacks, okay, but don't tell me that's the most they've ever, they set their all time record. Let, let's, let's historically look at what that means.
1: There's a rumor going around, and, you know, aren't rumors great? If there weren't rumors, there wouldn't be talk shows. So if there weren't talk shows, there might not be rumors. That you're dating Morgana Roberts? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for her to call me back. Um, First-round draft pick for Patrick Peterson. Yeah, Arizona's going nowhere. Patrick Peterson is a shutdown corner. Um, Artie Burns is a shutdown corner uh, because he's being shut down by being put on the bench. Um I don't see the Steelers doing that. I think if that he was available, they would have done it this week. You know, get him in here and work with him and so on and so forth. Um A, would you do I again, I don't think it's would happen just not how they do things, but I mean, if you're Kevin Colbert, would you do that? If you thought
2: it's not the way they operate, in. but I would do it. I would do it. I think they've had almost an every other year success rate with first round draft picks. Uh Mostly though, Stan, because I think their window is closing a little bit. Bell's going to be gone next year. Ben, we don't know what Ben has left in him. As those of us have watched the Steelers for a long time, they had some pretty good teams between Bradshaw and Roethlisberger. None of them good enough to win a championship, but still the key position. I, I, I'm going to go all in, and I and I think that that would push me over the top. To I, I would he'd be to answer your original
1: question immediately. If they got him, they're a contender. Well, you stop and think about, you know, not only Ben, um, AB's 30. Yeah. Most of the offensive linemen next year are going to be in their 30s. Now, offensive linemen generally play longer than skill position guys, um, but I, I do think you're right. You know, window of opportunity. Um, it's You know, you think about the Penguins. You know, all the key play- They're not old, um, but they're not as fast as some other teams because other teams right. are younger now.
2: Yeah, younger and copied what they did. and exactly. I mean, so, you've got Evgeny Malkin now predicting that, you know, Austin Matthews and John Tavares are going to take over for him and Sid as
1: the, the big center duo in the league. Maybe as early tonight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, age is not a factor when it comes to playing for the Steelers um, or writing about them. Uh, Tunchilkin, as you know, is um, uh, to borrow Steve Blass's, uh term, a pirate for life. Uh, Tunch is a Steeler for life. We, we don't even bring up that one year in Green Bay. That doesn't count. Um, he's written a book. It's called In the Locker Room, uh, from the playing field to the broadcast booth. Tunch is going to join Stan and Guy next. We've both worked with him for a long time and talking about that brand-new book. And then the Guy and I will talk about that controversial play in the playoffs last night, the baseball playoffs, I should say. Um, if you're going to have replay, you should be able to get it right. I don't think they did. In any event, Tunch joins us next. Right here on Saverin on Sports, it's Stan a Guy Day. Love the show on ESPN Pittsburgh.
0: The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio.
1: Get it? In my room? In the locker room? (laughs) I picked that out myself, (laughs) Tunch. first note played, and I knew exactly where it was going. Yeah, the guy knows. We're all of an age. I love the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys are the greatest. Tunch is even old enough to remember the Beach Boys,
0: aren't you? Oh, yeah. I I saw the Beach Boys three times twice by themselves and once with Chicago.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. You know what? I saw him a couple of years ago. Now, they split up into two. One has Brian Wilson in it. The other one has Mike Love in and it. Al Jardine. And uh, Al Jardine is with Brian Wilson, oh, okay. but, but Mike Love. he And Bruce Johnston, who wrote, by the way, I wrote, he wrote, I wrote, uh, write the songs for Barry Manilow. Um, but I saw him about two, three years ago. Love and Jardine are related to the Wilsons. Aren't they their cousins or something? I, think, I don't know. I think they're, they're related. Well, Mike Love is the, uh, uh, is the uncle or cousin of Kevin Love the basketball player. Oh, no
2: kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. He
1: made reference to it. Anyway, what are we (laughs) talking about here, Tunch? Sorry. In the Locker Room. That's the name of uh, Tunch and Wolf's show right here on ESPN Pittsburgh each day from 10 until noon, and also the new book. Uh, Let's just start out, Tunch. You know, basically, what's the book about?
0: You know, it's about relationships, Stan. Uh, You know, one of the things that uh, I wanted to – bring out was how rich the relationships were uh, when I played, not only with my teammates, but uh, with uh, the coaches. And, you know, uh, the Triumph uh, Publishing has been kind of pursuing me to write a book for, for years, and, uh, uh, and, and, I, and I never really did want to do it. And then they told me that Scott Brown would uh, uh, co write it. And I really like Scott. So I thought that would be good. And he's a great guy. Yeah. And I trust him completely. You know, that uh, I knew that whatever I said, that's what would be written. And so I said, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so we, you know, and, you know, last uh, year on Thursday Night Football, it kind of uh, confirmed in my mind that I wanted to do this book because. When, uh, before the game started, I saw Mike Mularkey on the field. I saw Keith Willis on the field. I saw Tony Dungy. We all got our pictures together, and we all met and started visiting, and it was like no time had passed since the last time we had seen each other. And uh, and I thought, you know, that's what makes football so great. Uh, it is the richness of the relationships, and uh, I was so fortunate to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I had the greatest coaches, the greatest mentors, the greatest players and teammates uh, that I hung out with, and I wanted uh, uh, people to experience that uh, uh, through this book.
2: I always wondered how it works, Tunch, when somebody like you writes a book with, with Scott. did Did he sit down and interview you and just take notes, and then he writes it, and you approve it, or did you actually do some of the writing? How did that work?
0: Oh, you know, uh, gee, I can't even write a uh, an email. Uh, <laughs>
1: Have you ever seen Tunch's fingers? There's no um, way that he can do a keyboard. <laughs>
0: well, I, I just spoke it. Uh, you know, uh, it was, um, you know, I knew, I knew what I, I wanted the book to look like, and so I just, you know, uh, Scott did interview me. I mean, he did uh, ask some questions, but. Uh, you know, I was just recalling, and and we were and we were talking, and he just turned the, you know, he turned the uh, tape recorder on, and the funny thing is, he, when we were doing, we did this uh, uh, this book signing at uh, the Penguin Bookshop in Swickley, and he said, I just asked touch one question, and he would just go, and uh, and so. Uh, you know, that was kind of the way. But, you know, I, I, whenever I write a letter or write anything, it looks so juvenile to me because it doesn't come out, uh, the spoken word does not come out like the written word. And so uh, he did a really nice job of arranging the chapters. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a terrific writer, uh, and, uh, and I'm not. Uh, so, uh, but, it was, um, uh, but he did it just the way uh, I wanted it to be.
1: The book is called "In the Locker Room" by Tunch and uh, co-written by uh, Scott Brown. Tunch, you mentioned about you know being a Steeler, and I introduced you by saying you're a Steeler for life. Um, But you did spend a year in the Green Bay organization, and you used to go around and work for teams. We saw
2: Tunch. Remember, we went to the Hall of Fame game, and he was with the Packers. We saw him. Yeah, Yeah. we did
1: sports beat from there that night. About that on the lawn of the Hall of Fame.
0: Right. I was so excited to see you guys there. You oh know? boy, you uh, must have been
1: really lonely.
0: I well, you, you know what? <laughs> you, you guys are Pittsburgh, right? It was my. Uh, it was a bit of home. You know, I knew that. Obviously, Chuck was uh, inducted that uh, uh, that year, and I saw Chuck the next day on the field, and I saw you guys uh, at the Hall of Fame. It was it was great.
1: Oh, it was it was our pleasure. It was really <clears throat> uh, it was really fun to see you there. Uh, you had the one year, but you used to go to different organizations in the off season um, and teach offensive line t- uh, technique to, to their players. So you get a sense, a taste of what other organizations are like. Um, are the Steelers unique in that regard? Tunch, um, uh, is, is it different at other places?
0: No, the Steelers are very, very unique, and I still do that. Uh, uh, you know, I've done it every year since I've gotten out of the game, with the exception of the year of the lockout stand. So it gives me my my coaching fix, you know? Uh, you know. I usually do a couple teams a year, and uh, you know, although I'm, I'm, you know, uh, welcomed and treated very graciously, but there is something about the Steelers, and and I believe it's the humility uh, of the organization. It stems back from from the chief, uh, and it was passed down to uh, the ambassador and and Art. Uh, uh, is the same way, you know, the, the, you know with the mantra uh, that the Chief used to speak to uh, Big Shot, and, you know, you know I, I, the, the, f- the first time I met the Chief was before the draft in 1980, and I tell the story in a book, and me and Nate Johnson and Ted Walton, all that were part of my draft class, we were brought in for a physical, because we didn't go to the Combine, we weren't invited to the Combine, and the Chief walks in, we're in, the, we're in the lobby of Old Three Rivers Stadium, and you know the big mural the AFC Championship game between the Steelers and, uh, and the Raiders and the four Super Bowl trophies, and we're just sitting there. And the Chief walks in, and the Chief is dressed very casually with a cardigan that's missed buttons, so part of it is hanging down. He's <laughs> chewing on a cigar. He's got a big ashtray, and he's dumping the little ashtray uh, uh, into it to clean. You know, he's straightening up the lobby. And as he says, hello, young fellows. what are your names? And we each introduce ourselves. And then Nate Johnson says, so are you the janitor here? <laughs> and, and, and I'll never forget the chief's, the chief's chest swelled up. And he says, oh, 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 I do a little of everything around here. And, <laughs> and, and what, a, what a picture of humility and what a great lesson to learn. Because he was honored to be thought of as a working man, as a janitor. He loved it, and I loved the way that he just, you know, he was excited about it. And so, uh, and I remember I'm like elbowing him, I'm going, "Don't you know who that is?" <laughs> and and it was just, uh, it was just a beautiful moment in humility. And that's what they. And the chief, you know, when he walked by me in, the, in in the hallway, he said, "Tut, my boy, hard things in Turkey." He said, "Are they still, are they still killing each other over there, just like Ireland?" And uh, so we had this, you know, relationship, and and so that humility was passed down to the the ambassador, and uh, uh, and now to Art, and, and there's and I don't think it's there's nothing like that uh, because it, it's got that trickle down effect. Uh, everybody has that sense of humility that works for the Steelers.
2: I asked that uh, question. I did the TV piece with you and Wolf. Last month, Tunch, when you guys first met at the airport and came to town, if you could have imagined at that point that 40 years later you'd still be here, still living here, had raised your families here. You know, uh, for those obviously that didn't see the TV story, though, uh, give you give your response to that.
0: You know what? I, I would have never – you know, when you're that age, and you guys know, you know, you're like uh, – you're wide-eyed, and you're just like innocent. You're just going, wow, man, I hope I can make the team – uh, I hope I can play long enough to earn a pension. I hope I can start. And then, you know, the years all of a sudden uh, start stacking up. And, you know, the, I immediately fell in love with Pittsburgh. And I remember uh, uh, just after my second year thinking, if I play here for any length of time, I'm going to make this my home. And uh, and, and that's the, the way it turned out. You know, it's just uh, – it's been a, a, a wonderful, wonderful city to be part of, and and just uh, very, very thankful uh, that the Lord has blessed me with great friends, great, uh, great jobs, and great people like you to work with. You know, I was thinking about uh, our, our times at uh, Fox Sports Net doing the, uh, the post game and uh, one night during the week, and I just, you know, have you know, you guys have have. have been so impactful in my life in in my transition from uh football to broadcasting and i really thank you for that
1: well the Tunchestrator is still up there if we ever get a chance to, <laughs> use, to use that again that uh, 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 used to be our monday show the tunch would uh, uh analyze plays it was it was great it, something struck me uh in in uh, reading through the book uh and that is um as have i um we've all spanned the three coaches that have been with the Steelers since 1969. Um, and it also it occurred to me that all three men are completely different personalities right. and I, I find and, but here you have this organization which prides itself on we do things the Steeler way, the Rooney way this is what we do and yet the head coach coaches uh, the three of them have been distinctively different.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, the, uh, you know I, I and I played for two of them, uh, Chuck and Bill Cowher, uh, only one year for Bill. Uh, Bill, it was interesting. Bill was a little different because he and I were the same age. It was weird playing for a head coach uh, that you played against as a rookie. Um, uh, but you know what? Uh, uh, you know, Bill was different. He had the attention to detail, but he was much more emotional and much more Uh, passionate, you know, Chuck used to say, uh, I'm not here to fire you up. Uh, I want fired up football players. If I I need to fire you up, you're in the wrong business. You know, Chuck was the consummate teacher. You know, he would stop practice to make a point. Uh, You know, he would always say, understand what we're trying to do here understand conceptually what we're about, understand the defense. You don't have to be the biggest, strongest, and fastest player to make plays. If you know what you're doing, you'll make plays. And, and I always respected that about him. And he didn't care about size or strength or speed. I remember one time I was on the uh, uh, my rookie year, I was on the scale, and I didn't realize he'd watch guys weigh in because he wanted to see how much water weight they were losing and not really concerned with how much they weighed. And I, and I remember I stepped off the scale, and he was behind me. I said, I can get bigger, Coach. And he said, I don't care how big you are, touch, I only care if you can play. And I thought, wow, that was really freeing, you know, that he said, I don't care what, what your size is. I just care if you can play. And so, you know, uh, I really – you know, Chuck had this aura about him. Obviously, you guys know that uh, as well. And he was just, you know – just uh, a very, very unique, well-read. You know, I was—I used to always say he was the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> he always, always was. And then Bill was fun. It was because he was a contemporary. Um, and you know, you—you you said each one of them are different, but Mike is, although his style is different, he is a lot like Chuck. Uh, when I'm at practice, Mike is always teaching. He is just like Chuck was. He was always teaching, and so. One of the things that I do at when I'm at practice is I follow Mike around because I'm always learning something about the game. Having never played uh, the secondary, never playing defense, uh, I, I love listening to his coaching tips uh, about coverages, about technique, about lining up, about down a distance. I mean, he is – The consummate teacher, just like Chuck was. Now, obviously, uh, you know, this is a different generation. He has a different style of teaching. But it's the the same information. Uh, You know, he's always about know the down and distance, know what you're supposed to do, know what the offense is doing. He is always repeating. So um, Mike is very much like Chuck, only a different generation of him.
1: Interesting comparison the book is entitled "In the Locker Room" by Tunch Ilkin with Scott Brown, Triumph Books. You can get it anywhere. Um, it's it's a terrific read. You'll really enjoy it, uh, and I enjoy you, Tunch. Uh, Guy and I both. do. We always have. Um, and best of luck with the book, my former hockey line mate. There you go. That's right. We used <laughs> to.
0: Yeah, get, uh, uh, my buddy uh, Gee Junker, uh, great slap shot. Uh, so, so
1: you were you were Hornquist. Um, and, and, and guy is Sid, right? You had to get him the puck so he could sh- shoot and score and get all the you know, glory.
0: You know, the two biggest moments in my hockey career was getting my picture taken at the Johnstown War Memorial with two of the Hanson brothers. <laughs> and, then, and, and then the other biggest moment of my hockey career was the first goal that I scored that was assisted by Joey Mullen. I still got that puck.
1: Oh, I can. I, well, Hall of Famer. I can. I can understand that. Tunch, you remember when we went to the White House
2: and played the Secret Service? That was a right, great that trip. that was
0: great. We we had. So, I'll tell you what. I missed. I missed our hockey games. Those were so much fun. And playing Thursday at Harmerville uh, pickup, we just had a blast.
1: Well, you'll get a blast reading this book. You have a blast listening to Tunch and Wolf every day right here on this very same station from 10 until noon. Tunch, thanks for spending time with us. Um, it's like old times just sitting around the newsroom <laughs> at FSN Pittsburgh BS, and we appreciate it.
0: Amen. And, and, guys, I just want to thank you both for your friendship and... Uh, uh for your mentorship in the business. Thanks, guys.
1: Uh, You're very welcome. Our pleasure for whatever good it did. I'm not sure it did. Um, uh, Thanks, Tunch. Take care. Uh, Again, the book In the Locker Room, Tunch Yolkin and Scott Brown.